Welcome to Fran Path Consulting Podcast. I'm Sam Schweitzer. And I'm Brittany Bodie. And together we are Fran Path Consulting. Happy summer, Brittany Bodie. How are you? I'm great. Happy that it's finally warm. It feels like we didn't have much of a spring in Georgia, so it's been good. Thanks. How are you? I am doing well. It's 87 degrees in Madison. So we went from like highs of like mid 50s a week and a half ago to just sliding right into summer now, which has been awesome. I'll take it any day. I always say you get like one season to complain about. Mine is winter. So I do not complain when it's hot. I do not complain when it's muggy or humid or buggy or any of the above. So (laughs) I just live for it and sweat it out. Yeah, your winters are terrible. So you definitely have to enjoy summer while you have it, for sure. All 100 days of it. I'm going to be living it up here. We were robbed of about 20 of them. (laughs) So good to go. I'm just excited about summer too. Like in our business, clients are typically focused on family. So it gives us kind of the high season for conferences, meeting with brands, researching brands, getting more education in our industry. So I really like summer um, just to focus on some of the other side of our business too. I completely agree. And, you know, you got to experience some of this beautiful Midwestern not spring that we had a few weeks ago. (laughs) And I talked you into a trip to Chicago by enticing you into the Young Conference. And you have not had a very positive experience. Every time you're in Chicago, you've lived in their airport for days, hours, (laughs) or had an experience where the food wasn't good. It was busy. Just You just haven't had a great time in Chicago. So I obviously love Chicago. My husband is from Chicago. And so we spend a pretty significant amount of time there. So I was convinced I could change the game for you. And and then I sat in a two-hour Uber and was delayed. (laughs) (laughs) I listen. I can't fix O'Hare. That's a, that's, you know, about my organizational skill set. That is not a job. (laughs) But overall, the Young Conference was fantastic. And I think Mm -hmm. it's something we've never really done before. You know, in our previous roles, we attended a lot of conferences, but this one was pretty different. It was, it was, you know, I've attended some like IFA events and conferences going through a certification in franchising. So I've attended some conferences that are outside of kind of the consultant network conferences, but never this one. Um, So it was fun. I mean, we were grateful to be invited to it. And it's the young conference is exactly what it sounds like. It is young leaders inside of the franchise space. Um, so it's really exciting just to be part of that group and learn from people and get to be around people our age that are, you know, up and coming in the franchise space and making great moves and disrupting marketing and bringing in new sales strategies and building exciting new brands. So it was a really great opportunity for us. Yeah. And when you say around our age and the young conference, it's funny because franchising is typically, I mean, it has not been traditionally millennials or even younger Gen Xers. It's traditionally mm-hmm. been baby boomers that have ran most of the franchise industry. And yeah. so 
for any younger listeners that happen to be on here, all three of you, if you're like young, you guys, what? <laughs> in franchising, so hip, so fresh, so cool. <laughs> so yeah, us elder millennials. <laughs> yes, yes, I prefer elder to geriatric millennials any day. <laughs> I'll take that title. <laughs> I was reading an article written by a Gen Z or AI probably that was talking about how millennials are aging out of like their trend setting. And I was like, well, that's depressing. I miss being like the generation that doesn't want to work and you guys don't know anything. <laughs> like at least then we were on the top of people's minds. But it's really neat to see the dent that this group has had in the industry and also the sheer volume that is now showing up of people and it's necessary because the buyer is shifting into a millennial buyer. And we're seeing so many people in that generation buying businesses and doing those things. And we've talked in previous podcasts about how our demographic of client has certainly shifted. And so the industry is answering that in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. Probably my favorite thing about this conference, though, is getting to sit down with some people that we just don't get to sit down with. We just don't get interaction with all the time in these national conferences where you have 700 people there and you've got 200 plus brands that are live and you, you can barely catch your breath and you're losing your voice. You don't get that face-to-face -face interaction that you want. So we actually got just pleasantly seated next to somebody that was fantastic and that we've been meaning to talk to. And that was Aaron Harper, and I'm so excited he agreed to join us today on our podcast. Aaron is the franchise founder and CEO of the Rolling Suds franchise. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you guys for having me, and it was great to get to be able to sit with you guys and have breakfast and get to know each other. Because, yeah, you were on my list of like, oh, my gosh, we why aren't we friends yet? You know, so... We heard about you through one of our friends, um, Dan Claps, and he said to us like, oh, this is so exciting. You guys are going. Hate that I'm missing it. Here's kind of my short list of people that you should seek out. So it just worked out that we got to be next to you at breakfast and we're so appreciative of your time. Um, and we're just excited to share your story or have you share your story. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you into franchising? Sure. Yeah. Uh, thank you. So yeah, I've been in franchising most of my adult career. I, I joke that my my niche in franchising is really boring businesses uh, that are in the you know needed necessary space, and then I niche down a little bit further in there, and it's helping more kind of white collar professionals and more sophisticated buyers step into uh, these types of businesses, and and then scaling those businesses in a responsible way by, you know, hundreds of units and then becoming the category leader in those businesses. So the first one was um, a carpet cleaning franchise, helped grow that business until it was purchased by Belfort Franchise Group. Belfort Franchise Group wanted to become a home service conglomerate of brands. Um, so they kind of tasked us with building that and they had three brands at the time. We then became five brands. The sixth brand that they purchased was a drywall repair brand called the Patch Boys. The Patch Boys um, had grown to 100 units, 40 franchisees, and they asked me to get involved and help to kind of rebuild the infrastructure and take it to the next level. And, I, you know, we, we, we built systems around everything the franchisees needed, put a management team in place, um, 
And then I scaled that business by 223 locations in 24 months. And we became the biggest drywall repair company in the world. And every single one of those franchisees opened and they opened in the time we said they were going to open and they opened with a full-time drywaller hired and jobs lined up day one back from training. So we had it kind of humming at all, 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 all angles. We were the 13th fastest growing franchise in the world for two years. Um, and, um, and then last year, uh, I, you know, was asked by, by Belfort if I wanted to do it again, they were going to buy a business that wasn't a franchise yet. And they wanted me to help franchise it. And I loved the idea. So I decided to do it, um, on my own this time. Um, so looked for different businesses to, uh, to franchise, um, in the boring space, looked at insulation, um, painting, HVAC, solar, I mean, you name it. I looked at core businesses that were really good businesses that I could use similar infrastructure that I've learned over the years, apply it to that business to turn it into a national franchise brand. Met the founders of Rolling Suds at Springboard last year in September. Um, They're like, we're really good at power washing. We know nothing about franchising. And I was like, great. I know nothing about power washing, but I know a ton about franchising. So um, we decided to partner, dug real deep into the power washing industry, decided this was definitely the one I wanted to go with. Um, and, uh, we partnered and we've, uh, we've sold eight units now. We started in February, so we've sold eight units and then tomorrow we'll have nine more sold. So we'll be at 17 units and then, yeah. So having fun. Doubling in a day. I mean, that's very impressive. Over doubling math. Isn't my super strong suit, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, that's fantastic, you know? a real testament to choosing the right business and to really surrounding yourself with the right people too. Yeah. Now, to rewind your story back to the beginning, because you've had so many interesting pieces of this journey. And I think as we break them apart, really starting with ChemDry, you yeah. were there, you started your franchise career there, and then they're acquired. A lot yeah. of our listeners go through an acquisition there, that can be sometimes the catalyst to wanting to leave somewhere and come into yeah. owning their own business, or they're absorbing all of the things from the entity that that is acquiring them and enjoying the fruits of all the new money and technology and all the things yeah. that are coming in. What was your experience like as Balfour Group took over, you know, what was a smaller franchise, an independent franchise? Yeah. So it was actually really interesting. They bought us, but that they, they put us in charge. So it was like a really interesting acquisition. Um, it wasn't like, you know, we're going to bring you in underneath our leadership team. It was like, no, you guys are going to become the leadership team. We're going to buy you cash, no debt. Then we're going to put you in charge of our division. And we want you to scale this to multiple, pla- you know, multiple brands. And so when I left, we had grown to 13 brands, 4,700 locations across 55 countries. When I got involved with ChemJai, we were two brands. So I, I literally watched a platform company basically go from two brands to 13 in like five years. <laughs> That's insane. That's incredible. And I want to dig in a little bit more to kind of the, the Patch Boys piece because for people that don't know, I mean, being able to even hit 100 units sold is a small percentage of brands in franchising. I love that you said, not only did we get those sold, we got them all open. Not only did we get them all open, we got them open with the right infrastructure, already some clients built in, 
I mean, that's pretty remarkable from a support standpoint. Tell us a little bit more about when, you know, being part of the Patch Boys launch, what your role was, because we know you wore a lot of hats there. Yeah. So when I got involved, we were we were going to launch, and but then I realized that it needed a lot more help before we opened our first franchise. And we needed to really build infrastructure for the existing franchisees. Um, and so I went out and I kind of listened to them and asked them what they needed and became really close with the franchisees and, and understood their needs. And I think any good franchisor is a good listener, or if they're not, they need to be a better listener. And so we listened to them and we said, what are what are the things you need? And then we built infrastructure around the things they needed. So they needed help with training. They needed help with marketing. They needed help with technology. I mean, really, they needed a lot of help with pretty much every facet of what a franchise provides. And so we did that. And basically me and the brand president were the first two, you know, essentially employees on this brand because we didn't inherit a management team. There was no management team in place. There was no existing employees. So we, we went from it wasn't really zero to one. It was like, you know, it's like, okay, we got to kind of repair some things. Um, and uh, and then when we felt it was in a good spot, that's when I stepped more into a full-time franchise development role. But if I put on my coaching hat some days or I go to the trainings or, you know, so, and I called franchisees, I stayed in touch with them, but um, we had a brand president who I was very close with who oversaw operations. And then I oversaw franchise development. There were a lot of things that I would have done a little bit differently and, and improved things, but um, I'm able to do that now from from scratch with Rolling Suns, which is super exciting. It's so interesting how you take so many pieces of what you're doing and, and it does play into kind of that end piece. So at Patch Boys, you really did have the opportunity to play so many roles. You went from being on ChemDry and kind of taking a singular two roles there. And it sounds like you just had ownership inside of the Balfour system of Patch Boys, which is again, very rare. That's a rare yeah. situation to get put into. So building that infrastructure, the sales, the support, the operations, the marketing, all of those things that I think Franchisees sometimes take for granted. I'm guilty on the franchisee side of taking that for granted. You're just like, yeah, this is what it is. The stuff is just here. Yeah. So how did that prepare you as you're looking at where you're at now, being the franchisor really yeah. in full? How did that prepare you for that role as franchisor of rolling sets? I mean, it absolutely prepared. Like it, it, I didn't know what I got. I was drinking from a fire hose, figuring it out. And I was like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? This is a lot. Like, you know, I'm dealing with legal and I'm doing all this different stuff. Um, and, uh, and so now in retrospect, looking back, I basically, I mean, I learned how to build a franchise system. And then for the next couple of years, because there were, you know, there was a smaller team, like I learned how to improve a franchise system. And I learned that operations and sales have to talk to each other all the time. Otherwise franchisees, the, the validation suffers, their experience suffers because sales and uh, development and operations, they have to be hundred percent aligned. And that was what was really cool. And why we were able to like launch so many franchisees is I was saying the same thing. Operations was saying the same thing. And then the franchisees would launch and then they were saying the same thing. Right. So like we we're all basically having the same consistent experience. So someone would buy and they'd have the experience that they were going to get because we we're all aligned on it. And so any brand that I'm involved in, Rolling Suds is my primary focus. 
operations. Like we're all, we, we have a meeting every week with everyone. You know, we're talking about the different franchisees. We're all basically business coaches um, at all times. And I make a, a priority of everyone on the team is, hey, no, like the franchisee is our customer. Mm-hmm. Like we work for them. Like we have to continually earn our royalty. And so what can we do to provide support and ongoing support and innovative support for franchisees? And um, so it a hundred percent prepared me for everything I'm doing now. I love that you say that the franchisee is your customer. You know, you, we go to all of these conferences where you're surrounded by emerging brands. And that's the number one thing that I look for when I'm thinking about, do we want to add this next brand to our kind of, core portfolio of what we show, I want them to know that their success is solely dependent on the franchisee's success. And if they don't put their franchisees first, they will never be successful as a franchisor. So I love that you're franchisee focused. And I also love that you recognize how to have those departments talk to each other because we see it that, you know, an, an ops VP will say, well, it's franchise development's fault. Like they're just selling to whoever they're not listening to what we want. And then franchise development is like, well, they're not supporting the franchisees in the way (laughs) that I'm pitching it, you know? So it's perfect that everybody is on the same page as your development team takes somebody through the process, everything that your team shares with them on the development side, they deliver on the ops side. So I think it give you a lot of credit for recognizing that as a first time franchisor. Thank you. Yeah. I, um, we actually consider ourselves, we say this, it echoes within the organization. We consider ourselves a franchisee company, right? Cause if we're a franchisee company, it's like super clear what we do, right? Like we, we support and provide services to franchisees and in return for those services, they pay us a royalty. And so we consider ourselves a franchisee company. I love that. What attracted you to rolling suds specifically? So you went to an industry conference there are hundreds of people at Springboard every year. Mm-hmm. I think they'll tip the thousand mark in the next year or two. So I imagine you talk to many exciting emerging brands. What attracted you to this particular brand? So I think anyone who's buying or investing in a franchise, what I've what I've learned is is the mentality it has to be people first and numbers second. I looked at a lot of businesses last year, $8 million tree businesses in Chicago, $12 million HVAC businesses, $8 million solar businesses, right? Like good core businesses, but the people weren't right. And and I'm not like buying the business and then they're riding off into the sunset and then I'm running a $2.2 million power washing business. I created a different business that's the franchise business, which is different than whatever the the, the core business is. It's two separate businesses. And so it needed to be right from a people perspective. And so this business, father, son, like legacy story, son's taken the business, taking it from a million dollars to, you know, over $2 million. Like dad started it in 1990, ran the truck himself for like a let, you know what I mean? Like it was very much like, all right, we're building this from scratch and we're a family and it's a family business. And it's a, it's a story I can get behind. And I think a lot of people can get behind. I think any good business needs to have a good story. Um, And so that was a big piece of it. And then just the industry as a whole was really interesting to me. I'm like, wait a minute, are there a bunch of franchises doing this? No. Is there a national leader? No. Is there a regional leader in power washing? No. I'm like, wait a minute, what the heck? Like, 
it's a huge opportunity, right? Because I all these other businesses, there were like 10 other franchises doing the same thing with a different name and a different animal logo or whatever, you know, whatever it was. It's like <laughs> the same thing with different, you know, just different brands and different things. And I was like, all right, well, we can do something unique in an industry that really needs it, right? There, there, you know, there's no, there's not as much sophistication in this industry. And so if we can bring standards to an industry that doesn't currently have like a set, like this is exactly how you do it. This is it's how you talk to customers. Then we can really do something tremendous and extraordinary. And so for some of those reasons, and, and, you know, I had a kind of a, a checklist of what I was looking for in, in just a business in general, um, which I, were you guys, I don't think you were at the shark tank competition at Young Con. Were you, were, did you guys, were you able to make it? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. okay. Yeah. You did a great job. I mean, do you want to tell us the results? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell us what it is first for our listeners. I mean, people know shark tank from a show perspective, um, but tell us what it means in franchising and what it was for you. Um, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Talk. Yeah, no, that was awesome to be asked to do that. So every year at YoungCon, they basically choose like six emerging brands from different categories and they give those brands an opportunity to present in front of the group and then in front of like sharks. And the sharks are other people that are 45 and under at YoungCon, but they analyze these deals all the time. So CEOs, private equity guys, like people who have looked at hundreds of deals and can actually see where like if they're managing a fund where they would put their money right so there's brands from like health and wellness and beauty and child enrichment and so rolling suds was chosen as the home service concept for this year and so basically the first like kind of like section or whatever the first round is each brand presents five minutes their brand you know the story to the entire you know 150 plus people there then the audience chooses the three out of that that then make it to the next round and the next round is a 10 minute q a from sharks where they grill you in front of everyone and um i loved it i absolutely you did amazing Amazing. i was like i mean they were tough they were they are they are like the creme de la creme like the the biggest i in my opinion the biggest baddest PE company inside of franchising, one of their guys was on stage. I mean, they weren't giving you guys softball questions and you really held your own and you can tell that you knew your stuff. You're, you were very genuine in your answers. I mean, you did a great job. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I had a lot of fun with that. I mean, I've, I've eat, breathe, breathed and sleep this, you know, business for months. So like, you can ask me anything and I can talk about it. So I had a lot of fun. It was, it was great. And um, yeah, the, the results are uh, we won. So um, we're the hottest brand in town, according to the, uh, the, the street cred that you get from that type of thing. So super excited and honored to kind of take that, that, that role um, for the next year. I, they should give us like some cool trophy that we carry for like a year. And then we or get a check. person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I mean, well, they so I did win. I did win two tickets to Springboard. So Springboard mm-hmm. for the next two years for me is paid for. So there well, you go. Well, that's so. great. But yeah, a yeah. trophy is nice, or just a medal that you can wear around your neck when you show up <laughs> at Springboard and that's have nice. some okay. rating to like a wrestling belt, you know, like yeah, a wrestling belt. I'll just yeah. wear it, drape it over. Aaron Rodgers with the <laughs> I'll just walk around to other franchisees, like. 
check yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's, you know, you really, the fact that you said this has basically been your life for the last year or so, it showed. I mean, there wasn't a question that was lobbed at you that you didn't answer well and very well. And it really, you could feel the passion coming from you as we sat there in the audience. And it was just really neat. And, and I think nothing against any of the other people that were there, but I think the way that you were able to vocalize exactly what was going on in the system, the differentiators, it just was unmatched by anybody there. And I think definitely as we look, I mean, you were up against kids and pets in the final round, just, you know, as we kind of outline that. So if we're talking, we're talking power washing kids and pets. I mean, if I'm like listing those things off from like an exciting business standpoint, I would have thought I would have been like, yeah, to the other ones. But it was right. definitely yours that stood out to us, too, as we sat mm -hmm. in the audience. And so that's that's not easy to do. And you found the right brand. You said you really, you had brands that you vetted that maybe were great brands, but they didn't have the right group inside of them. The founder team maybe wasn't what you wanted. That's really important. And when Brittany and I were on the other side, we would experience that. You would have a great brand and then the story wasn't really great or they didn't have that much passion. It was like, we just saw really good multiples and we were like, yeah, this is cool. And so that was it. And right. You know, that's really important. But what's also important in scaling is getting the right people in that business from the franchisee side. And that's where we look forward to working with you. But for anybody listening today, what is an ideal franchisee? Who is that person? And then what does a day in their life look like? What is that going to look like to be a Rolling Suds franchisee? Sure. I'll tell you guys the same thing I tell franchisees or potential buyers when they ask me that on the first call. And the, the main thing we're looking for is someone who wants to build an asset, not a job. And someone has the the, the willingness and the desire to, to follow the systems that we put in place to help them do that. I've seen too many times where someone buys, they, leaves their they leave their job and they buy a franchise and then they buy another job. And then they try to sell that business two years later because they're tired and they're burnt up from that job, but it doesn't have any value because they didn't put any systems in place and don't have a manager and don't have sales guys and all that kind of stuff. And so, so we're looking for someone who wants that. We're looking for someone who wants to scale to multiple trucks, build an empire. We're not looking for the guy who just wants to go and run a truck with his son and buy one territory. That's just, this isn't the business for them. And that's okay. I, you guys know businesses that we can put them in touch with. I can refer them to other other businesses. But for this, like, we're trying to do something extraordinary, right? We're trying to do, like, our plan is to do to the power washing industry what 1-800-GOT-JUNK did to the junk business in the 90s, completely kind of transform it. So the people who come in right now, they have to believe in that. And they have to be excited to be part of that. Right. And, and to be one of the first 10 to 15 franchisees in that is like really exciting. And um, and so we've we've actually turned away more people than we've we've let in. It's been at least 32 units that we've we've turned away um, with that wanted to write checks that just weren't right. So, um, you know, I raised hundreds of thousands of dollars in capital so that we could be selective and so we could have more. You know, we're set up right now from a staffing perspective to support a 150 unit system. Um, wow. We're doing that so that we can provide this incredible support to franchisees. 
Um, I mean, people with have that have management experience, um, uh, you know, sales experience, uh, customer customer service, account management. I mean, really, this is a sales and marketing business where we offer power washing, right? right? You know what I mean? Like, it's not we're not power. You know, we're not like going out and doing the power washing ourselves as business owners. We're 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 managing the business. We're hiring people. They're going out and doing the work, and we're doing sales and marketing with customer interaction and you know residential and commercial elements because that's one of the biggest differentiators we're about half and half residential to commercial and commercial is you know 5700 plus uh is our average job size 5700 dollars um is our average wow. job size on commercial and and we can do that in like two days you know what i mean so like it's like it's really a good business so as for the day-to-day that kind of brings me to the next question that you're, you're asking which is they're out there building the business talking to, you know, property managers and painting companies and, you know, people who need the services that we offer and, um, and then managing the, the, the people that run the trucks. We want them to understand how that works so that when they hire a general manager, they tell them exactly what to do and put them in, put that in place and all of that kind of stuff. And, and, and then our goal is to help them get to the second truck within the first six months. And so what we do from a marketing standpoint is we front load a lot of the costs. So we front load six months of of ad spend. We front load an entire year of social media and reputation management. So we front load a lot of that stuff so that we can get that truck booked out like immediately. Our expectation is is it's going to be booked out immediately. And that's what we did with the previous brand. Everyone had, you know, employees hired and leads lined up and all this stuff. So we're just, you know, going to amplify it a little bit this time. And then, as you scale and you add more trucks, then you, you, you scale the team, you promote your guys, you put them into places where they're potentially doing sales or they're doing operations. And then, you know, you have an asset and then you buy more territories and you buy more trucks and you hire more people and you just keep growing. And um, one of the things that was really interesting to me about the power washing um, industry that I'll just say is like, when you think about a business, right, you want to think about the total addressable market. So like how many customers are there? basically, right? Like in a territory, like if you buy a mosquito business, there's a certain amount of customers that don't want mosquitoes in their backyard, right? If you buy a biohazard cleanup business, there's hoarders and they're right. So the territory has to be larger in that because there's less customers. And so when you think about power washing, like every, the total addressable market is every single structure that you drive by. Like it's every structure we've, we've cleaned solar panels, college campuses, municipal buildings, water towers, you know, casinos, like all the houses, like everything. It needs to be cleaned at some point. And so that was really exciting. It's like, oh my gosh, like there's a lot of customers across the country that need to be cleaned. Yeah. Sky's the limit for sure. Yeah, totally. That's incredible. You said a few things there that I really love when we're talking to potential franchisees with our clients the number one thing they always want to get down to is the numbers, right? Like how much money can I make that type of thing? And we go, well, we can't tell you that. (laughs) Um, You'll talk to franchisees, but I also want them to focus on, I get it. I'm a numbers person. Does the franchisor have enough money to support the franchisees? That's really critical. So you hit that one right on and said, we can support 150 units right now. I mean, that's remarkable. And you just sold your first franchise in February. So 
kudos to you for that. And then I love that you're having franchisees front load some of that expense because the worst thing that can happen to a franchisee is being undercapitalized. So I'm so glad that you recognize those couple of things. And then, you know, we get people that are like, well, I don't want to pressure wash or I don't want to clean the gutters or I don't know anything about that. I'm not handy. And it's not about that. It's about leveraging your executive experience to build an empire, leave a legacy, have an exit strategy, not rely on the nine to five. So I'm so glad that you're looking for that in your franchisees too. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's really important. It's, we're looking for people who want to build businesses. I mean, you buy a business because you want to build a business, right? Yep. Otherwise, just keep your job. It's probably easier than, than buying, you know what I mean? Like, it's probably easier. <laughs> yeah, business ownership <laughs> is hard, no doubt. But it is so rewarding. So franchising, you've been in it the majority of your, you know, adult professional career. But what is your personal compelling reason for staying? Why be in the franchise space? Wonderful question. So this, this is purpose driven for me. So, um, so like I have seen franchising done, you know, across the you know, a bunch of different brands. I know the leadership of different brands. I know how they operate. I know how many coaches they have. Like you guys would be surprised at the amount of information I know about brands who don't even know who I am. So, um, so I have seen it done candidly poorly more than I've seen it done the right way. Right. And so when I wanted to do this, I was like, okay, how can I, how can I do something that could potentially change the landscape for future generations of franchisors to come by setting an example of doing it the right way? And so I preach responsible franchising uh, personally. And so, you know, for example, I'm not going to sell 10 territories to someone who wants to keep their job full time. You know, this just like, I just don't think that's setting anyone up for success. I, I'd rather have someone have the right expectations coming into a business, the right expectations of potential money they can make and, you know, potential return on investment, right? Based on the data that we have and, and set the proper expectations because then they're going to be happy. I'm going to be happy. And we're all going to be in this amazing partnership. And that is how I look at a franchisee franchisor relationship as a partnership. There's stuff we do on the franchisor side and there's stuff the franchisee does. And I want franchisees to hold us accountable to accomplish those things that we say we're going to do. And we're going to hold them accountable to accomplish the things that we expect them to do. And that's how any partnership should be. And so like I flew out to go see two franchisees um, in, in Austin who just beat, bought both sides of the city and are going to training at the same time and a complete coincidence, which is so cool. And, you know, one of them told me, he's like, Aaron, like, all the stuff that would keep me up at night starting a business, he's like, you guys have taken care of for me. He's like, I sleep phenomenally at night because of you. And I'm like, okay, like I'm waking up and I'm working towards something that's helping people sleep at night. Like that's a, that's something that, you know, that is something worth getting out of bed for. And so if I can do that hundreds of times over the next 30 years and continually get better at that, right? I'm in my mid thirties. Like I'm going to be doing this till I'm 60 plus. And so think of how many lives I can change as long as I continually try to get better and continually learn on how to be better. And so it's very purpose-driven for me um, on how can I provide not only value to the franchisee's life, but hopefully some value to um, the industry as a whole 
as this next generation of the people who are attending YoungCon and going to conferences and will be running the industry in the next 20 years to say, hey, this is how I did it. It worked really well. This is how I would recommend you do it. If you want my advice, this is what I've done. And, and just give that advice away for free. I, one of my favorite things to do is go to these conferences is just give free advice to emerging franchisors. Like, hey, let's just sit down. Let's have coffee. I'll tell you everything. You know, so that's it, I hope that answers your question. It definitely answers the question. And you actually led into the next question we always ask on this podcast, which is about advice. And I'm assuming that it sounds like you're giving fantastic advice. I love the responsible franchising piece. What is the best piece of advice, if you had to boil it down, that you have ever gotten, Aaron? Ooh, that I've ever gotten. Yes. Ooh. Um, so I raised capital. And I didn't know anything about cap. I didn't even know what a cap table was before I did this. Uh, so, or how to model, uh, you know, so, so in this specific instance, professionally, my advice, uh, someone gave me the advice of raise smart money. So if you're going to raise capital, raise people who could give more than just, just capital. Cause otherwise why not just get a loan? So private equity money is not interesting to me because it's just, it's just capital. It's just private equity Right. At least not at this stage. And I don't have any plan on that in anywhere in the near future. So the people that I raise capital from could provide mentorship and have done this, you know, a lot of times with other brands and scaled those brands by hundreds of units and are kind of in that next that that generation that will be retiring in the next 10 years and and have really set some standards in that generation um, and, and can you know, provide additional capital in the future, but also kind of the other side of capital, which is intellectual capital, right? And so when you, when, when someone you guys are talking to or someone who wants to buy a franchise and they're evaluating different franchise brands, you need to look at one thing, which Brittany, you already mentioned, which is how much money does the franchisor have to support the franchisee? So that's actual capital. And then there's intellectual capital. How long have they been franchising? What kind of support do they have in place? Do they have experience doing this? Or is it, you know, a business that was a good core business? And now they're learning how to become a franchise, which is still fine, but it's it's riskier than to someone who says, "Hey, I've been doing this before with other brands." You know, you guys know some of these these brands in our industry that have done that, and they've done it really well, and that pre uh, prevents a lot of a lot of risk for the franchisee and makes their investment safer. And so with my team that I built and the, and the board I've put in place, we have over a hundred years of franchising experience combined across our leadership team, um, which is crazy, you know, and then unlimited access to capital, like we, as many checks as we need written, we have to support franchisees so we can scale as we, we scale the business. That's a great, that's great advice because capital is so much more than just money in a bank account and the intellectual capital i think is priceless versus money comes and goes but experience is expensive and so i do think for you that that's so wise in your first time doing this to understand that and we're just so appreciative of having you today and sharing about your franchise about yourself about your experience so thank you so much, Aaron, for making the time for us today in what we know is a very busy schedule. And congratulations on all of your success. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's been great. 
So if you'd like to learn more about franchising and diversifying your portfolio through franchising, email us at info at franpathconsulting.com. Follow the FranPath Consulting Podcast on Apple or Spotify. Please rate and review us five stars. You can also follow us on Instagram at FranPath, Facebook and LinkedIn at FranPath Consulting, or go to our website, franpathconsulting.com, to take your free business assessment. Mm-hmm.